electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures with some uh, mild give back this morning. Kick off a jam-packed week. Q1 earnings, White House meetings on infrastructure and the chip shortage. Powell speaks, the Coinbase listing, and a lot more. Our roadmap, though, begins with Microsoft's second biggest acquisition ever. Speech recognition company Nuance, $19.7 billion. The CEOs are going to join us exclusively this hour. Plus, nothing flashing red. Fed Chair Jay Powell keeping up the bullish outlook and weighing in on the Archegos controversy in a wide-ranging interview. And the White House convening a summit with top execs on the ongoing chip shortage, the largest U.S. automakers, Intel, Micron, Alphabet, and Dell, all amongst the companies that are set to join. Carl. All right, guys, let's get right to the Microsoft deal, Jim. We're going to talk to Nadella, of course, later on in the hour. They are sort of framing this as improving their AI capability across healthcare, specifically, and some other industries, too. Look, I think it's brilliant. And the reason I think it's brilliant is there are a couple companies that really have a hammerlock on the data. Uh, they are Cerner and then the larger one, Epic. Epic has always said over and over again, we will never sell. We will never sell. So it seemed like you could never get the data and store the data. They have it and they won't share it. But Nuance has deals with them. And so therefore, Microsoft has everything it needs to conceivably be in control of all of what you need to know about individuals. It's almost as if they have uh, they really have what I regard as being a database that could really change the way healthcare is done. So I know it starts as AI, but what it really goes to is all of your data. Uh, is with Azure, which is their AWS. And I think it's brilliant. They're going to be able to control a lot of what is uh, known about healthcare and known about you, known about individuals. Uh, no, one's else ever, no one has ever been able to do this. I think it's brilliant. David, what do you think? Uh, oh, okay. Sorry. I was having an audio uh, problem for a moment. I'm good now, guys. Yeah. Listen, Jim, uh, you know, I, it's curious to see them do a large deal. Not curious, because they have been. It's been a part of their strategy for some time. You always have to wonder in this environment um, what it will look like on the antitrust front. I mean, on the face of it, perhaps there should be no opposition. But this is a test of a new administration, which we know is focused on this and focused on competitiveness and privacy in a lot of different areas, Jim. And so one would have to imagine that will also at least be something that we should keep in mind here. I'm so glad you mentioned that because what happened is, well, look, Nuance is a small company. The fact that they have all these deals with everybody who really, you know, the major companies that, that know your data hasn't really mattered. But when you pair that with Microsoft, which is an unbelievable company when it comes to, uh, when, when it comes to the cloud, uh, then I think that there will be issues about privacy in the cloud. There'll be issues about whether this company, Microsoft, now has everything because Nuance had these great deals. So I, yeah, I absolutely think that what's going to happen, Carl, is the questions in the new administration are going to be about privacy and power. 
How do you uh, make it so that Microsoft doesn't own everybody's healthcare data? I know that if you bought Epic and you bought Cerner, you might be able to get that, but no one was ever able to do that, particularly Epic. Epic is just so powerful, but now Epic has a deal with Nuance. So Nuance is going to be uh, Microsoft. Microsoft effectively has a deal with Epic, and people don't recognize how important Epic is. But when you go to the hospital, take a look. It's almost always Epic, and they've been hard to crack. Microsoft's going to crack them. Hmm. Uh, yeah, we can't wait to dig into it with, uh, with with CEOs, David, on strategy and I guess on price, too. Right. This was a little bit higher than had been originally reported over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, this is a stock that already was up dramatically over the last year, although, you know, prior to that, it had not seen heights anywhere near as we get ready to, to, to speak to Mr. Nadell and Mr. Benjamin later this hour, uh, anywhere near where it's getting taken out, which, of course, you like it isn't all. A cash deal, always important to sort of point that out. Uh, no Microsoft stock being done as a consideration here. It's, let's call it about $16 billion. There is some debt involved, which gets the overall enterprise value up closer to $20 billion. But uh, from an equity perspective, more or less closer to 16 And as you say, Carlos, and it is a, a 23% premium to the closing price uh, on Friday. Uh, and, uh, you know, Jim, it's not as though uh, Microsoft doesn't have the ability to spend cash all day long on whatever it wants. And to your point, for Microsoft, not that large a deal. But in this M&A market, one of the larger ones that we've seen in some time. Well, David, a lot of people see that Microsoft stock has just been on this incredible tear. So explain to me, just walk through why management would not buy this company with stock. Do they, does Mr. Nadella honestly maybe thinks that the stock is cheap? I don't know. You know, obviously, it also has to do to a certain extent with the desire of the acquired party. Uh, and we could ask Mr. Benjamin, perhaps on that front, what I don't have any real background here in terms of the merger itself at this point. Um, it is very cheap to borrow at the at the at the level that Microsoft can. Obviously, they have plenty of cash on hand and do something so that it can become more. It would be more creative, Jim, than even using your own stock. Uh, that often is the case in an environment where interest rates are as low as they are. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And another is I don't really know what the buyer was thinking, although given he is going to remain right with the company in some way, you know, sometimes you do like to have your own shareholders still have something in the game, so to speak. So it is an interesting point to make. Look, I, yeah, I think uh, it's that been a nice thing that we really have to talk about. Oh, Carl, I'm just saying this is a, might be the beginning of the consolidation between technology and health. That's what we have to watch, Carl. Yeah, I was going to say, Jim, as well, uh, the big Army contract the other day, this deal, Fitch, uh, 11 days ago, upgraded Microsoft to AAA. Uh, very few companies have it. They said the operating or the gross leverage is uh, eight-tenths times. So um, interesting a balance sheet situation, as David suggests, a lot of strength over at Microsoft. And we'll dig into that with the CEOs later on this hour. Of course, last night, the big news was uh, Fed Chair Powell on 60 Minutes talking about what he called an inflection point for the U.S. economy. Here's what uh, he said, if you missed it. Well, I think there are always risks. I mentioned uh, the risk of, of, the, of the spread of COVID. We're seeing more COVID cases again. Many parts of the country, as you know, are reopening with enthusiasm, and uh, time is going to tell whether that was premature. But we do see cases moving up again, not at a high level, but but it's uh, you wouldn't want to see them moving back up. You'd want to see them flat or continuing to decline. They're at much lower levels than they were in the winter. Um, vaccination is helping, but uh, 
that's, that's, I think, the main risk to the speed of the recovery. Jim, uh, that line that the outlook has brightened substantially has led some to uh, conjecture that it was a hawkish presentation on 60. Uh, but his point about uh, COVID trends is a serious one. I don't know if you've seen Michigan data lately, but there's a good chance Michigan's going to take out its COVID high in daily cases. Yeah, look, I think there's complacency like you wouldn't believe. I think that the new variant is uh, absolutely, uh, I think, raging in this country. I'm not talking about the uh, impending doom comments that we've that we've seen uh, from the CDC. But I thought Jay Powell was extraordinarily good. He really took off any uh, rate hike to 2022 because he sees that he has better data, more quick data, doesn't have to go ahead of inflation. There was a moment, Carl, really was just it was shocking. What he said was to uh, to Mr. Pelly, when you and I were in college, we didn't have this kind of data. And I, I am a little bit younger than Jay Powell, but it did sound like, look, the textbooks don't work anymore. And anything that you've seen before is really just not in keeping with the technology that we have, with the ability to be able to figure out when we're going to have inflation. It was almost as if, look, the, the old models just don't work because they're too old. Hey, David, yeah. J-PAL is not necessarily a dove. He is an analyst who says the old data doesn't work. Yeah, well, he's, he better hope he's right. Um, you know, this, I believe this interview was taped last Wednesday, is our understanding. And obviously our own Sarah right. Eisen had an opportunity on a panel to, to talk to uh, Powell on Thursday. But on Friday, Jim, is when we got inflation data that looked pretty hot. But the market did not react to it. At all. Interestingly, the likes, for example, the yield that we were just looking at in the 10 year didn't really budge. Gold moved down on the day. You know, you weren't here Friday, but that those numbers on the face of it, at least, look like there is inflation coming back. Well, look, I I was here in spirit, of course. Um, You know, I got to tell you something, David. Uh, What he does, (laughs) Jay does, is they love this Jay. I mean, I hate Jay. Jay. Uh, What Jay does is basically take the uh, the current numbers and just say, look, don't worry about them. You should stop looking at the current numbers. David, I think you're right if the current numbers continue for many months. But, but Carl, this is a man who basically says, I am not worried. The data near term may not be what you should be focused on. Focus on 2022. Why 2022? Because that's when employment may come back to work. This is, I'm going to use the word instead of, uh, instead of Dove versus Hawk, I'm going to change the dialogue right now. Sensitive. The man is sensitive to people who are not getting jobs, particularly minorities. And, Carl, this is a new uh, way to look at, at, at the economy. I think it's a far more advanced way. I don't think he gets much credit for it. What he says is, look, as long as he's, is this one cohort is just not getting jobs, we're not done. And, I, I, Carl, I find it so refreshing. This guy's like a Republican, appointed by a Republican president. And when I listen to him, yep, I yep. think, you know what he's saying? We've got to stop the discrimination. I love it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, Jim. Uh, we, we certainly have a boatload of uh, dead auctions coming up in the next three weeks, beginning with the 10-year note auction today. And we're going to get a sense as to whether or not that, that sensitivity to rising yields is real. But, David, uh, to Jim's point, I mean, if Powell's right, then the old playbook that by the time the numbers are in the data, the cat's out of the bag, that was always the big fear that the Fed uh, was not good at being reactionary, uh, would be different if Powell's right and, and the data sets are more nimble and more finely tuned now. Which one would imagine is certainly the case, certainly in the time since we were kids. There's no doubt we all talk about 
course, just to the changes that have taken place even in recent years in terms of the flow of information and the ability to understand things in real time that we uh, previously could not. Uh, but then again, you know, do you really repeal those sort of long-term laws of economics? I, I don't know, uh, Carl. Guys, I also thought it was interesting that he was asked about the hedge fund Archegos. I know we don't have a lot of time left in our little time right now, but that he actually chose to comment on it. The Fed, not really much of a regulator for these for these uh, banks involved here. The, the story continues to capture my attention, of course, the blow up of that hedge fund. But take a listen to what Powell had to say when asked about it. This is an event that we're, we're monitoring very carefully and working with regulators here and around the world to understand carefully. What's concerning about it, though, is and surprising, frankly, is that a single customer client of one of these large firms could result in such substantial losses to these large firms in a business that is generally thought to present relatively well understood risks. So that, that is surprising and concerning. And, you know, we're going to understand that and get to the bottom of it. Very interesting that he chose to engage on that. Of course, the Treasury, the SEC, also one would imagine would be involved in that, as are many of us who are reporting on it. And guys, you know, I continue to be asking that same question. Uh, what was he thinking? Uh, the gentleman who ran Archegos, Bill Wang. What was he thinking? What could he possibly have been as we, as at least I learn a little bit more uh, over time here in terms of just the size of the actual positions in many of these stocks, which was stunning. And the fact, of course, that, uh, that um, you know, he did not disclose so much to some of the various prime brokers. And then other questions, too. Um, what were the fees that he was paying? They may have been enormous and there been, <laughs> may have been a reason there. And, you know, I come back. I mean, again, there's so much more reporting to be done. There are many out there who are obviously doing this as well. I could expect that we'll see more stories about what exactly went on here. It did not destabilize the financial system in any way. But the role of Morgan Stanley as both underwriter, lead underwriter of of a deal at 85 for Viacom, while they had this enormous position here that they were really beginning to unload. uh, Fascinating. Uh, not to mention all the fees that Prime Brokerage was taking in, guys. And that remains a key here as well as to why these companies wanted to do business with him, despite what was behavior that, well, we still can't understand at all. Carl? Yeah, uh, certainly uh, will be a question for uh, the earnings of Goldman and Morgan Stanley, which are coming up later in the week. Guys, as we said, not only do we have the CEOs of Microsoft and nuance on that huge deal this morning. Uh, Not only do we have calls on the airlines and Tesla and Chipotle, but stay tuned today for a brand new show on CNBC. Tech Check premieres at 11 a.m. Eastern time this morning. Our guests include Uber's Dar Khosrowshahi with some new data on mobility. Intel's Pat Gelsinger, obviously about uh, the uh, the chip summit of the White House and LinkedIn founder Reid Hoffman. Tech Check premieres today, 11 a.m. Eastern. We're back in a minute. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. 
That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. In just a few hours from now, the White House scheduled to host a summit on the global chip shortage. CEOs of Ford, GM, Alphabet, Intel, AT&T are among those set to participate. We'll talk to Intel's Pat Gelsinger on the premiere of Tech Check this morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Jim, as we get yet another day of uh, potential disruptions uh, to Apple, some argue. Certainly Mitsubishi now joining the auto space and having to shut down some lines. I want to know about NXP. I want to know whether NXP is a problem. They are the guys who supply a huge amount of chips to the auto companies. So far, they've gotten away, away with it. Scott Free, you've not heard them as being a problem, but I have to tell you that behind the scenes, some of the auto companies would tell you, if only NXP had more chips. I also hope they talk about China. One of the things, David, that I am just most concerned about is the Chinese saw the shortage coming, and they double-ordered. There is no sin to double-ordering, but China has more chips, I think, than it needs. And this group may not be able to, to articulate that, but I sure hope the president discusses it, David, because right now, I think that if the Chinese were to release some chips, it would help our companies. But I don't think they will. I do wish that the president would come out and say, I wish the Chinese would stop taking all the order flow. And he also should be thinking about Taiwan Semi and how much of a Taiwan Semi is, is dependent upon Chinese orders. So Taiwan Semi favors China against the United States. David, these are geopolitical issues. Yeah. Well, and when I asked you last week, you said it is going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, these are also issues that don't get resolved overnight or over weeks. I mean, it takes years to develop the production capacity necessary to make us no longer perhaps as beholden, as you say, to uh, to Taiwan. And, and you can see it there. Twenty two percent. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy, Carl. You know why? Because we keep thinking that we can build foundries. We can alleviate this. All right. So in 2025, yeah. we'll be ready to go. 2024 <laughs> could be the beginning. I mean, come on, we got to get realistic. We got to just tell these companies, look, you got to uh, start producing more chips and you got to send them here. That's what I stat and Carl. Yeah. You know, Jim, uh, Mark Fields, uh, formerly of Ford, was with us last week. And one of the arguments he made is that autos as a sector don't have a huge amount of leverage because they don't create a meaningful piece of business for the likes of Taiwan Semi. Uh, auto chips accounted for about 3% of sales. So it's kind of hard to, uh, to, to put the squeeze on them. Why not? Why not have President Biden call them and say, look, we know that this is a small part of the mosaic of your business, but we're laying off people at our companies at GM and Ford, and it is time that you give us a break and you help us. Biden has leverage. GM and Ford may not. But you've got to be able to say that the president of the United States does, given the fact that the United States is defending that whole country. So I think, David, that this is a question of why doesn't the president speak up and call them and say, you know what? We're putting a lot of people to work. We're putting GM and Ford to, uh, to work. And uh, I know that, Mr. Gelsinger, it's great that, I, that Intel is talking. Intel's not the problem. The problem is Taiwan Semi and be able to get those chips. And NXP, I want to know how much NXP is supplying to China versus us. David, this is, again, it's geopolitical. And the company that has leverage is the White House. We don't think of them as a company, but that's what has to happen. Carl, it's, uh, yeah. Right, we can't wait to hear more yeah. from them. Complex, uh, to say the least. As we said a moment ago. 
later on, Microsoft making a big bet on AI by agreeing to acquire Nuance Communications. As you can see, Nadella and Benjamin will be with us exclusively later this hour. We're back in a minute. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Take a look at uh, Microsoft Nuance pre-market here. Deal of the morning is Microsoft says it will buy Nuance in a $19.7 billion deal, trying to bolster its suite of enterprise applications with AI. We'll talk to both executives after the opening bell, which happens in about six minutes. Welcome back. Let's get to a mad dash, and then we'll roll into the opening bell. Chipotle is on the uh, menu. Yes. I mean, David, there's some things happening in the uh, fast food and also the casual dining issue. What I'm finding is that there are a lot of companies went out of business, probably about 100,000. That's left the strong to survive. And here we go. Chipotle. So Ray J upgrades, Raymond James upgrades. Uh, We've got a nice price target boost from J.P. Morgan. Baird is talking about, David, of all things, the quesadilla, new quesadilla, a menu improvements and David, what matters here is they were able to make it so they were pretty much making as much money outside the store as inside. And now the inside of the store is going to open. A lot of countries, a lot of, I'm sorry, a lot of states in this country are beginning to uh, scrap the social distancing rules. I don't know whether that's because they think they're herd immunity. I don't know whether they think that so many people are vaccinated. But the winner here will be the company that had great numbers beforehand, making the most money beforehand, and it's Chipotle. I think it's still a buy. I've liked the, these guys since 300, and I'm doubling down right here. Wow. I like the uh, price target of 1800 by Ray J. Are there any other, are there any other there. businesses that come to mind, obviously in this area or perhaps others, where they were able to pivot effectively, uh, and now their core business or the business they had previously is also going to return. And so they're going to have sort of two engines working for them. Look, this is a great question. I, and I would turn to Brinker. Uh, Brinker was kind of a just OK outfit that is now doing much better because of uh, what they're doing. Uh, Texas Roadhouse, also digital, really great. So the, uh, sadly, the uh, CEO killed himself from tinnitus. Just couldn't take the noise. Does happen after you get COVID. And then, David, I, I, I do think that there are some parts of Yum that will benefit because they have a good balance sheet. But this is about taking share from the companies that went under. Right. And uh, I would have to include Starbucks, too, David. I think Starbucks is going to be the long-term winner. So it's great that you pointed it out. Yeah. But it's bad that they're winning because of the breakdown of the smaller guys. No, it's true. Carl, you're going to have Khosra Shahi as your guest on Tech Check later. And I would point out Uber similarly seems to be now starting to see its core business come back. And obviously we know the success it's been having with Uber Eats. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting uh, data. Mobility bookings hitting a new uh, cycle high uh, post-COVID, guys. Uh, demand recovering. Interestingly here, Jim, faster than driver availability. And this is the dynamic we're seeing across industries. The wave of demand is outpacing their ability to fill it with supply, whether that's physical good or labor. And we're going to get to Dara on what the solution is, because unlike a lot of businesses, uh, the turn to technology when it comes to driving someone around is is something that's years away. Uh, at least that's what most believe. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 